Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. You're listening to episode 80 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're unpacking a line many music teachers draw and whether it's justified. Hi, beautiful teachers. Welcome back to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. Last week, we looked at the idea of investigating everything, becoming more inquisitive this year and asking ourselves constantly, why? Why are we doing it this way? Why is that happening? Why is the student having this problem that they're having? Why, 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 right? So in the spirit of that investigation, this week, I want to unpack a statement, and it's a statement I see around the place in one guise or another, and that's, I don't teach kids who don't practice. If you've ever said this, or if you've ever looked at someone saying it and exclaimed, or if you've ever wished you could say this, then I want to question all of those today. Some other guises that this may come over under for me are those teachers who have a practice contract or practice policies. I'm all for business policies, absolutely, no makeups all the way, but I don't believe in practice policies and I'm going to talk about why that is today. Many teachers do have this and I do understand the motivation though. So this idea that you don't teach kids who don't practice or that you have a minimum practice requirement or that if students don't practice, you will fire them. You know, my brother is a, not a music teacher, he's not in this area at all, he's a doctor. And he was chatting to someone who was a piano teacher, and she told him that she worked for a school. He was re retelling this story to me that she worked for this school, and that he exclaimed that they wouldn't even let her get rid of the students who don't practice. And I kind of grimaced and said, uh, I wouldn't want her to do that either. She needs to learn how to teach them to practice. But it's not that simple, and we're going to unpack that today. I will tell you right off the bat that I don't believe in this idea of firing students who don't practice. So, let's investigate it. Why do we come to this idea, and why do we need to rethink it, or do we need to rethink it? Well, the first half of this is about why your students aren't practicing, and whether you have fully done your part to help them do so. Now, I'm not going to accuse you or say that it's all your fault. That's absolutely not what I'm here to do. 
but maybe it is. And part of this spirit of investigation means that you question, you ask these hard questions. Is it my fault? Did I do this? So let's make sure we have all those bases covered first, if you have a student in particular who's not practicing at the moment and it's frustrating to you. I get that it's frustrating. So first off, for me, the first step of creating great practice habits starts with the first meeting with a student and their parent. At this first meeting, you need to be very clear with the parent about practice expectations and to a certain extent with the student about practice expectations depending on their age. The younger they are, the more you need to address this directly to the parent, although the student should still be there for the conversation because they need to know that this is part of the process, even if they're four. But most of this, if they are just a preschooler, goes towards the parent, and as they get older, it does fall on them as well. Although maybe not as much as people think. Any student who is still in primary school, I believe most of the responsibility of practice happening not the quality of practice, not what is happening, but just practice happening full stop, does fall on the parent if they're, say, 12 and under. And even over that, they have a lot of support roles to take there as well. So the first step to making sure that you have done everything you can is that have you had that conversation with the parent and the student the first time you met about what practice is, what's involved, and the commitment that they need to make to it whatever that is for you, whatever guidelines you want to give. The reason this is so important is because, yes, we need to establish these things right from the start. But for me, the big reason why this is crucial is that it's an equalizer. If you don't have this conversation, then you're giving a natural advantage to the parents who took music lessons themselves or who at least had friends who did. And that is still a class difference. Okay? So if you have a parent who wants music for their child, they never got the opportunity to have it, they never could have afforded to have a piano in their house, for example, they're not going to have had a bunch of friends, most likely, growing up, who did music. And so if they haven't had that, they don't have the basic grounding of practice happens roughly every day, it looks something like this. So that's why at this first initial interview or meeting, I think that it's vital that you explain to the parent what they need to do, what their involvement looks like in this process. So that's step one. If you've done that, then the question is, have you followed up afterwards? That's just as important, if not more so. You can't just have that first conversation and assume that it all sunk in, especially if this was brand new information to them. It's not all sunk in. It's not all uh, completely embedded in them exactly what they should look like and what their role is and all of that stuff. So you need to follow up with them and provide support, at least for the first several months, to make sure that they get off to a good start with the practice routine, that they understand why they're doing it and what they're doing. This is easy to miss because actually the first few weeks at least, often students very easily do want to practice because there's that initial amazing excitement. And yes, we try to keep as much of that as we can, but we can't keep all of it. You can't keep that initial buzz going forever. And so if there is that initial buzz and the kiddo is just going to the piano, you know, every stage of the day that they can find time, there's no issue with practice. Progress seems fine from your end, but actually the parent isn't taking any active role in that at all. 
your information that you're sharing with them and your regular follow-ups will mean that when it does start to become come to a place where they need to establish that routine and they need to take more of an active role because things are getting a little bit more challenging or the initial buzz is just worn off a little bit and they need to develop this habit, it means that you'll catch that if you follow up. So have you done the initial meeting? Have you followed up with them regularly? And the next stage is whether you've actually taught them how to practice. Have you been explicit? Have you, in the lessons, told your student, okay, this is how you're going to practice this. I think you should practice this this week to solve this problem you're having. This particularly applies to students as they work through, right, at a more like beginner, intermediate and onwards level. Are you talking them through practice strategies, explaining how to practice, and then actually doing it in the lesson and explicitly saying, this is how you should practice at home. We're going to do it now. And then afterwards, asking them, well, what did we do there? This won't magically cure a practice problem overnight. But if you keep this up, if you're good about coaching them through practice strategies, often it will improve their practice over time because they'll feel like they know what they're supposed to be doing and because they'll feel the satisfaction of making progress. You make more progress when you practice properly. And if they're going into the practice room and just aimlessly wandering around the place with their pieces, not really achieving anything, it doesn't feel that good because you don't get anywhere. So that's one more thing that you need to do with your students is to teach them how to practice. And then the other fourth sort of foundation of whether you've done your part or at least some you've done the basics of getting your students into a place where they could be practicing is to provide appropriate pacing and motivating music. Now, those are huge topics, obviously. I'm not going to go into the details of what they mean. But the basic idea is that you're providing an appropriate pace, meaning things aren't too easy or too hard. They're in between. Students have the tools they need to accomplish what they need to accomplish at home. Are they leaving lessons feeling like they can do it, is another way to say that. And the other half of that is, do they even want to play the music they're playing? If the music is dull to them, no matter what that means to them, then they're not going to be particularly motivated to practice it. Or at least, they're not going to be intrinsically motivated. They might be motivated by, I don't know, whatever, your praise or stickers or chocolate. But that's not really what we want, is it? So we do need to have that basic of they enjoy the music that they are learning. It's motivating to them. They want to be able to play it well. So they want to put in the effort. At least on some level, they want to put in that effort in order to be able to practice, to be able to play that music well through practice. And they feel that they can do it. The pacing is appropriate. They have the skills and the tools they need in order to do that. So that's the first question, first big question. Have you done your part? Okay, why is the student not practicing? And is it you? Have you missed something? We all miss things. That's fine. Pick yourself up, fix the problem, and, you know, resolve to do better next time, I guess. Or at least resolve to put systems in place that you think you'll catch more of these things. None of us can be perfect, but we have to ask the questions and be honest with ourselves. 
Now, the second big half of this question of the, behind this statement of I don't teach students that don't practice or students not practicing is why do they have to practice? Because if you have done everything to help the student to establish a routine and to practice well and to have the tools to do so and to be motivated by their music, if the, all those things are in place and the student still isn't practicing, then we have to turn around and ask ourselves, okay, they're not practicing. That is our reality right now. I've done everything I know how to do in order to help them practice. And maybe their parent just isn't that supportive or they just don't have the time to help them. Or there's some issue like, you know, homework is taking them far too long from school and they just literally cannot handle another thing. Okay, so here's the choice you have left or they have left to them. They can either quit lessons and have no music at all, or they can stay in lessons and not practice. And you may say, yeah, but if they stay in lessons and they're not practicing, we won't get anywhere. I'm sorry, but that's not true. That's just us assuming that the progress we're used to is the only way to do it, and that the methods we go through and all of that stuff is the only way to do it. It's not. It might be the preferable way, but that's if the choice is between no practice and coming to lessons or practice and coming to lessons. But if you've done everything you can to help the student to establish this practice routine and to practice regularly at home, and they just can't for whatever reason, or they just won't for whatever reason in this season, then the choice is between no music or music once a week, right? Which would you prefer this student to have? Which would be better for them? Surely it's better for them to be doing some music every week. And it's not true that nothing can be achieved. When we start talking to ourselves in this way and we start saying, oh yeah, but you know, we don't get anywhere. It's usually our egos talking and our perception of what music lessons should look like and what progress should look like. And that's where we have to investigate again. And we have to say, okay, But why? Why do I feel that way? Why do I think nothing can be done? Because surely something can be done, even if it's once a week. Just might not be in the way that we expect. So, some examples of things you could do. You could do theory work and games. You can explore theory books with them and play games together to learn about music theory. They can learn an enormous amount about that in a weekly lesson. You can also do projects, especially if it's just Say a student is going through a particularly challenging academic year or they just have a lot on right now and they're going to for the foreseeable future. Well, rather than them leaving your studio and quitting music, let's face it, almost always forever, then it's better to take on a fun project that can be completed week after week with your help at the lesson. So, for example, a composing project is great to do with them or you can do them creating something in GarageBand, or perhaps you could come up with a film soundtrack together. Yes, these things will take week after week after week. But when you don't have that expectation of practice and weekly progress and moving through repertoire, you can do this stuff. Maybe you could work out a piece by ear, ask them for a pop song they like, band they like, look it up, and slowly, piece by tiny little piece, work it out together by ear, no notation needed. Or you could just work on pieces. 
or not just, but part of it could be that you do work on pieces, but you take tiny sections of those each week. They will eventually get to the full piece, and as long as you and they understand the progress that you're making and how you're working through it, it's fine. Slow progress with a piece or with theory knowledge or with reading or whatever, it doesn't have to be frustrating. Just yesterday I read a great article, I'll link to it in the show notes at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 80. This is episode 80. So this was on Seth Godin's blog. You may know it, it's one of the most popular blogs in the world. He writes these, most of the time, very short little articles full of wisdom. Uh, They're really fantastic to read. And I love his podcast too. So listen to that if you're looking for another podcast to subscribe to. But the article that I stumbled across on Seth's blog yesterday was called Irritated is a Choice. It's very short, so I'll read the whole thing. It's a choice because you're on this path by choice. And it's a choice because the act of being irritated involves the story we tell ourselves. People are rarely irritated by gravity because gravity got here before us. If you're telling yourself a story that leads you to you being irritated, you're welcome to change the story. And I thought this just applies so well to this situation because I do get it. It can be irritating. I used to get so annoyed by the situation of, you know, week after week, student doesn't practice, we go through the same things, we're both bored, we're both annoyed, no one's getting anywhere. But you have to change the story. You can't keep going through that. And if you're not going to fire the student, and I really don't believe that you should, then you have to change the story behind it. You have to accept the progress that is happening and learn to see it as a different thing. Okay, it's not a traditional piano lesson format where the student practices five days a week and you move through repertoire at a certain pace and they make this much progress with reading and they learn to do X, Y, Z. No, it's not that. But it can be its own thing. It can be a weekly musical experience. And that's what I aim to do with actually the preschool program that I created, Mini Musicians. And we just released the second level of that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. Both levels are no practice curricula. So they're designed to work with a group of preschoolers who don't practice at home. They're not at that stage yet. We do start practice after they graduate from that program. But it applies to all ages and all levels of students too. You need to decide to accept the fact that there's no practice and design things in a way that makes sense for that rather than constantly banging your head against a wall going, how do I make this kid practice? when you know that you've tried everything and they're just not. So I hope you'll consider reframing that if you are someone who's thought this way or just been frustrated by a lack of practice. I hope something from today's show struck a chord with you and will help you think differently about it. If your student and the parent understands the trade-off they're making by not implementing practice at home, then it is possible that the problem is with you and your view of what music lessons should look like. And if you go through this process, if you treat music lessons in this way, once you have tried your best to get the student to practice, then it's going to be a more positive experience. And if the music lessons are more positive every week, if they're enjoyable, if they're fun, if they're making progress more than they would have if you just repeated the same pieces as if they had practiced, then they will move forward. And they might just start practicing down the track. 
If you're going to be at Piano Privet Live this week and you're listening to this before you come along, then I hope you'll come up to me and chat about practice or argue with me about anything that I've talked about here on the podcast. I'm happy to debate things and ask why with you. So it's this Thursday and Friday as this goes live, 23rd and 24th in Melbourne. I hope to see you there. And if you're a member, make sure you check out the new Mini Musicians 2 program. This is a follow-on from Mini Musicians 1, and it's designed for a group of preschoolers who do not practice. Enjoy it, and I'll chat to you next week. If you want to access a fun, creative, and gamified approach to preschool piano lessons with absolutely no practice requirement whatsoever, it's called Mini Musicians, and you can get it at vibrantmusicteaching.com. Become a member today and I'll see you on the inside. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash Turbo. See you there.